Well, hello and welcome to Dusty's Hideaway. Dusty's Hideaway. I'm Dusty Limits and this is my podcast because that's what the world was really crying out for, wasn't it? Another podcast. In this show, I will be interviewing some wonderful artists and asking them about the things that inspire them and the surprising things about which they are passionate. This podcast is dedicated to Kieran Knightley. Kieran Knightley! Who inspired it. And today my guest is a dear friend, stand-up comedian, poet, and the creator of the immortal Marcel Lucan. Please welcome Alexis Dubus. Me clapping. These are the times we're in. Yeah, I, I thought I, I was going to talk. I was going to wait for my own applause to die down. Oh, okay. You, you clearly have a lot of self-love, and that's a good thing. Now, did I pronounce your surname correctly? You did if you were in France. Yeah, so are you in France? Uh, mentally, yes. Then no. Okay. Well, it would be in France. It would be Dubus. Um, I guess it's well, Dubus is what I say. I know I shouldn't. You shouldn't say it, I guess after your own name, should you? But it's been so many different. Like I think I say it slightly differently to my dad and my mum. <laughs> and I think we also we'll just say it slightly differently. No one knows. It's shrouded in mystery. It could be Alexis Dubius. I mean, you are quite dubious. I've had that. I like it when people say Dubois because it kind of gives me um, much more of an air of, um, you know, poshness than, than, than I'm owed. I should be owed. I mean, it could be de bus, right. as in, you know, thrown under de bus. Under de bus. Well, it, it, it's Dubu. It comes from Dubois, I guess, doesn't it? It comes from that. So from the woods. Are you from the woods? Yeah. So it's some, somewhere, somewhere down the line, somebody decided to Latinize it. So it would have been Dubois. Which obviously to us, I guess, sounds uh, sounds posh, but maybe in France they kind of went, well, it's not posh enough. We'll need to make that make, sound more Latin. <laughs> so yeah. there it is. It's and we're here with Alexis, and we're talking about French etymology, I guess. Yeah. If you want to go full English on it, dubus. <laughs> that sounds like an insult, doesn't it? Oh, you bloody dubus. Oh, I should point something out for you and also for our listeners that Alexis and I are both allowed to swear as much as we like and pretty much say anything. The philosophy of this show has already been given to us uh, by my first guest, Paulus, which was you steer the ship and I shall attempt to mutiny. I'm not sure which of us that applies to, but I like it as a concept. So for the listeners at home, so you can get a sense of who you are. Uh, the gorgeous Alexis here. Um, if they don't know that, they were probably living in a cave or something. So, you know, we can forgive them that. I have some pro forma questions for you. Are you ready? Yes. Or if we're allowed to swear, fucking yes. Yeah. Uh, fucking fuck. Fuckity. Okay. You, you, you can say anything you like. You can swear as much as you like, um, but you don't get paid. So it's kind of like radio, isn't it? But it's like, a, you know, it's that balance that you have with radio. It's, uh, you know... I've not done much radio, so and I don't. The, the, the few times I have done it, I don't think I've sworn, sweared, sworn, sweared. Oh God, we're getting very um, into linguistics now, and I'm starting to confuse myself. Um, so you, Alexis Debus, how would you describe your artistic work in one sentence? It can be a long, rambling compound sentence, but it has to be one sentence. And I want lots of adjectives and adverbs. Okay, you ready? Ready. Delivering pithy quips. Uh, oh, hang on. Ah, let's start that again. <laughs> delivering, uh, delivering withering pithy quips as a well-dressed, breast-obsessed French sex pest. Oh, I like that. <laughs> um, uh, so you're describing your character, uh, Marcel Lucan. Talk to us more about him. Well, he is my uh, the the alter ego that uh, will probably someday uh, overtake me. 
uh, when I go fully senile, uh, I'll probably <laughs> become him. Um, uh, he's uh, the, everything the French, everything the English love to hate about the French. That's kind of how I describe him, I suppose. He's uh, the sort of bohemian, bon vivant, womanizing misanthrope. He's, he's kind of, yeah, very much a French stereotype. And yet I still constantly get people coming up to me saying, I have known a Marcel, I have divorced a Marcel, I have lived with, worked with a Marcel, I have been stalked by a Marcel. They, they, they very much still exist out there, the, the, the living, breathing, quaffing stereotype. He's a very layered character, though. He's not just like some kind of allo allo stereotype. He's 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 got levels and layers. You can see you can see his intelligence and his passion. He's not just obsessed with boobs and wine. And why doesn't he wear shoes? The shoe thing is actually was accidental, and then I kept it. It was when I was doing my first shows in Australia. Marcel um, was born in a dingy club in South London in London Bridge where I used to run a, an experimental comedy club and it was and the whole rule was no straight stand up and I kind of started hosting it as, as, as Marcel he didn't even have a surname back then back in 2000 and about 2008 2007 2008 I think was, was, was the first time I sort of brought him out there and then he got a surname started writing more material, took him out on the circuit, started writing shows. I did the first sh- sort of foolish length show, 40 minutes on a sweaty rooftop in Adelaide. And it's, and I, so when I first got to that venue, I was kind of, I, I was a bit jet lagged still. I was walking about, I had Marcel in a suit. I used to have a sort of pair of faux crocodile skin shoes, which went very well uh, with the suit. And, and I forgot to bring them. I was walking around in sandals and um, uh, shorts and t-shirt as is the way. And I went, oh, shit, I've forgotten the shoes. And uh, someone went joking. I think, oh, you'll have to do it barefoot. And I was like, well, yeah, I can't do it in sandals. It would look appalling. It just looked terrible. So I was like, oh, barefoot it is. And so I stepped on the stage barefoot, and it just felt right from that first instant. And I, and I never, I say never, there's, there's a few venues where I, I insist on shoes. I just go, oh, God, I'm not going barefoot there. On that particular stage, because it has a history. No, not on that stage. There's a few in Edinburgh where I've, I've kind of gone, no way. No, too, too many things have been spilled on that stage and not all of them were drinks. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, it is It is not worth the diseases that I'm going to get from this 15-minute bit. I've, I've taken to not wearing shoes when I sing a lot now. Well, not now. When I used to sing back in the olden days before the plague... Um, and it's it's very interesting. It's very connecting. It connects you to the stage and frees you up a lot. Um, but kicking those off and just doing it barefoot is actually really pleasurable. Is the word I would use? It is quite pleasurable. So I so I have this this sort of insouciance about me and this misanthropy. But actually, foot wise, I'm going. Oh, it's just lovely. Oh, the, the, the naked feet. Nice. And also, it start, it made me start doing this this weird stance. So when when I do Marcel now. Uh, it's almost from 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 the start. As soon as I kicked off the shoes, I kind of I. I you can't see this on the podcast, but I, I pointed up one foot like a dancer would. So I, oh. I keep one very flat and I have one sort of peaked. Someone just said to me, a dancer friend said, oh, you've got a very good, is it point you say, or very good, whatever it was. She said, you've got a very good, whatever it is, you, your posture is very dancer-like and it's very classically sort of, you know, and I was like, oh, I didn't even know I was doing it. It felt right to kind of lean on that foot in a sort of, yeah. just, there's something very, yeah, just, just, just very sort of pretentious about it. Did he have some some prior career, short lived, I imagine, as a dancer? Maybe he was a tango dancer in a in a previous. I think, yeah, possibly. I think he's probably lived many many sort of lives like that. My my sort of um, yeah, the backstory of Marcel is is sort of various. Um, um, cabaret nights in 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 Paris, lost in the mists of time, and 
opium and absinthe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, time, opium and absinthe. That's one of my favourite cocktails, actually. <laughs> what do you think people think you're best known for? Presumably it's Marcel, but there's, there's other things you do. Yeah, well, I, do, I, I, I still do a little bit of that, but not so much. I kind of uh, sort of dabble in the spoken word scene a little bit and, and do my own sort of poetry stuff there. I'll do, still do experimental nights and I'll try out weird little characters that kind of just as a one-off or I'll, I'll do, uh, you know, stuff as myself or just kind of, I don't know. I, I, Marcel was kind of, weirdly, the experiment that went right. So yeah. Marcel was kind of something I thought was going to be, I don't know, a few months' worth of fun. And I just did, last year, I did my 10th year at Edinburgh Fringe. It's weird, I think, a lot of performers, like, especially in, in the kind of cabaret world and the comedy world, we, we try out characters and personae, and one of them sticks, and, and very quickly the other ones fall by the wayside, because that's our moneymaker. Yeah, even if you're not calling yourself something else, naturally you will assume this character and you'll, you'll become yeah. this sort of caricature, especially in cabaret, actually. And it's a shame there isn't more of that in comedy. When I started, it seemed like it was kind of the end, it was just coming to the end of the, of the more variety-style alternative comedy um, experience that you'd get. There seemed to be, from what I've spoken to a lot of more veteran comics back in the day when there was the alternative comedy explosion, it was people just doing whatever they could, just doing anything. It wasn't even variety. It was just weird um, uh, party tricks almost. There were people who uh, would just come on and make, uh, who could do uh, the noises of different World War II aircraft. <laughs> who could. There was um, a guy, the Iceman, who was before my time, fortunately, a guy who would just come on and melt a block of ice. <laughs> That's what he did, and he'd come on, and he was more of a, it, there was a lot of performance art to it. So he'd come on and he'd put a slab of ice, he'd have just slabs of ice that he would bring on with him, all of which were labelled, this is, this is block of ice number 54. Boom. <laughs> he would melt it in different ways, and he would, he would you know, do like a 20-minute set where it was that. It was him with a blowtorch and then chipping away, and he would just melt... Actually, I don't even know if he sort of chipped away it. I think he would just melt the ice, and that was his act. With a blowtorch? man. I don't know if it was a place... I think it was, like, with fire and with, like, various techniques. I never saw him, sadly, and there's no... It's pre-YouTube, so there's no surviving footage of the Iceman, as far as I know. That's the beauty of a lot of these acts. Because I'm obsessed with the history of cabaret and, and variety and things like that, I'm still obsessed with Le Man, you know, the guy who toured Europe... Oh, Le Man. ...farting in amusing and, and interesting ways... I wasn't. Oh, I want to resurrect him so on the last night of the proms he can fart "Land of Hope and Glory" and rule Britannia. That'd be incredible. <laughs> That'd be incredible. And it's, and it's a real thing. My, my my friend knows the technique. You could you suck in air through your hole. Genuinely <laughs> <laughs> do. It's not like a burp. It's not like making a burp. You suck in through the lower end, and you and it and that's it. It's a real. It's a gastric technique. <laughs> Hey, that's a, a little announcement from the house of Alexis Dubas, uh, which is, <laughs> <laughs> is that Marcel will be delivering his Le Petterman act any day now. Oh, God, it would be such an amazing thing. Just like the, <laughs> just the, the louche um, visage just dissolves and suddenly he's, he's, he's got his legs in the air and a talc on the suit. <laughs> Lighter at the ready. Okay, well, wow. How did you get into stand-up comedy and performance? Like, was there like a formative experience, or did you just always know you wanted to do it? I, the, the analogy I use is: was it like a drug, like a, a downward spiral into addiction? Like you had a gateway drug, which was you did a improv night at the age of six or something. Of six, yeah. sixteen. I don't know. Six is a very weird number to pick. Could up. have been six. 
would have been six. Well, you had like people, people like Ross Noble doing the circuit at fifteen. Like he 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 would sneak into clubs uh, that he wasn't technically allowed in to, yeah. to, to go and do stand up age fifteen. And there were sort of yeah, I've been doing I've, I do a few comedy club for kids shows, and there were like ten year old stand ups on there and eleven year anyway. But anyway, that's another story. But how did I get into it? I yeah, enough about them. Uh, I got into it from uh, sort of I don't know. Me and my mates would always muck about at school and put on stupid little. We'd reenact sort of Monty Python sketches, I suppose, or stupid like I don't know things that we'd seen on on telly. Kind of, that's just you know but a lot of people do that that's i suppose how i sort of got into doing it semi-professionally or doing it on a stage was it was university really i kind of i got i got into a, a student sketch group and with five of us and we six of us six of us and we uh put this on and took it to the edinburgh fringe in 99 1999 and we sort of and we were just again just like we all shared a, sim- a love of kind of slightly dark humour, a bit of Chris Morris and League of Gentlemen and that kind of thing. And, and so we kind of pulled our dark little, uh, you know, 20-something uh, th- thoughts and, and, and sketches and ideas, pulled them all in and just made this very dark, very silly sketch show called Uber Sausage. And, and we took that. <laughs> To the fringe and, and ended up doing that yeah it was i know very very student sort of name but it, it did really well it did a lot better than than it than it should have done and i think we were sort of i think we were sort of looked down on a bit perhaps by the 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 the, the oxfords and the cambridge you know all their review team sort of thing and, and we were these plucky upstarts who were just giving it a go really about any I don't know any any path of success that that was going to be. Do you know what I mean? Nothing had been paved for us already. We just we just went and did it. Did you have that very classic moment where like it's opening night and 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 you do a thing and you say a thing and you get laughs and applause and it hits you like a kind of oh wow yeah, I guess so. Well, like we did it. At, we we did a few trial runs before we took it up. We managed to get a little bit of funding for it and we we sort of and we we did a few at the students' union. But of course, you know, I, I a few years later I then did my own first. Uh, stand-up routine solo me and a friend who were in the sketch troupe sort of nudged each other into it there was a little comp- uh, competition that was that was that was going on a- around campuses around the UK and we were all going oh should we do it let's do it let's do it and nudged each other into it and it was and, and, and the same thing like in that one I had all my mates in the crowd and uh, bless him I, I, I can barely remember it it absolutely flew by such an adrenaline rush and they were they were laughing but of course they were they were mates. They were, it was the same for the uh, student sketch thing. It's like, who knows if it's, you know, and also trying to make students laugh with, you know, bum gags and, <laughs> and sort of. First show I did as growing up, I was 20 years old. I will never forget the feeling of the curtain call when I, you know, appeared at the top of the stairs and, and you just get hit by this kind of tidal wave of approval and and you think, mm. oh. Wow. And then it's, of course, very much addictive. You want that all the time. I think we all have a degree of addiction issues when it comes to that acclamation. I think, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd done a bit of Amdram uh, and stuff through. My, my mate's dad sort of worked for an amateur theatre company and we did a bit of that. And I'd, I'd done a few bits here and there and sort of school plays, I suppose. And then, then there's the, that's a buzz. And I sort of, so that was the gateway drug, I suppose, got onto that. And then yeah. when you're actually up, up on stage doing stuff you've written yeah, and you get approval for that, well and that you're you're doing exactly as you you know I, it, that's incredible you're not getting applause um, because you managed to deliver shakespeare's speech in vaguely the correct order and you didn't even write it yeah it's a different thing all right i have to move briskly on uh, what what's your star sign or and or patronus and does any of that mean anything to you 
Vaguely. I've never read nor seen a Harry Potter. What? So there we go. <laughs> You've never read or seen a Harry Potter? I've never read or seen a Harry Potter. Yes, that's how I'm going to put that sentence. Only person alive. Do you think? No, there's a, there's, there's a few holdouts. So I just never got into it. I don't know why. I was never... I'm trying to think how old I would have been when the first Harry Potter came out. I think... I just don't think I was... Sorry, that's Amazon. They've just... <laughs> I'll edit this out. Oh, I thought that was just the wrong answer. I thought, I thought that was you buzzing me for the wrong answer. No. No. End of interview. What about your star sign? What's your star sign? Well, I'm a Capricorn, and I don't... I never really... I've never really paid that much attention to it. I'm looking it up right now to see what it says about me. I, sh- I, I think... Um, I think I'm meant to be quite um, headstrong and stubborn, I think, as a Capricorn. Goatee. Yes. Goatee. Oh, here we go. Strengths responsible... Disciplined, self-control, good managers, weaknesses, know-it-all, unforgiving, condescending. I don't think, obviously I wouldn't think that, I don't want to look at any of those weaknesses, I don't think that's very me. You're the least condescending person I've ever worked with. You would say that. Yes. (laughs) There's a joke, ladies and gentlemen, that was a joke. An actual joke. Okay, finally, what do you make of uh, this headline, genuine headline from today's news? I won't tell you the publication, but if I say that it is is owned, edited, written for and purchased by a pack of absolute rhyming slang for Hunt, uh, you'll probably be able to get it. Okay, the headline is... You say that, that that could could be one of three publications, at least in the UK. (laughs) Uh, So the headline is, get out of France now, dot, 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 or you'll miss school. What do you make of that? And just just riff off it as much as you like. Um, get out of France or you'll miss school. Well, I think the Marcel response would be, why you can learn everything you need in France. Exactly. That's your education right there. Don't go back to England. You will not learn the correct history. Oh, God. Go back. I mean, I actually I agree with Marcel on that point. Stay in France. I've, I grew up as a Francophile. I, was, I used to go to France a hell of a lot um, as a child, which is presumably where a bit of the Marcel... My, my, my grandfather was French as well, so I, can't, I guess that's where the, a lot of the uh, Marcelness is from. But... I, some of my favourite memories are from France, and some, and just like, and just the difference of lifestyle as well. I, I, it was, it was funny when you you get all these British holiday makers going, oh, I can't believe the the shops closed at lunchtime. Why did close these shops? Lunch? Why are the shops open? And I, I remember just thinking, even at an early age, that seems like a lovely idea. Just yeah. Keep at lunchtime. Great. Close your shop. Of course. Why don't we do that? You know. Yeah. Different raison d'être. The, the the subheading of this um this article of this uh, headline was holiday makers making a mad dash, uh you know to get home before I guess some kind of quarantine restriction comes in and it just struck me that it's always a mad dash, it's always mad. It's one of those awful journalistic cliches. It's never a casual dash, a slightly hurried but not too concerned dash. It's always mad, like everyone's lost their minds, like they're rabid dogs. Not just, I'm a bit pissed off, I'm at the airport, I hope I get in on time, but you know it's not the end of the world. No, no, they're mad, they're tearing their hair out, they're frothing at the mouth to get back to... And again, very British. This is a very, yes, the mad dog Brits coming back. It's, yeah. I think the funny thing is France and Britain are both very stuck in their ways about how they do things. Um, But France is just better, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) I can edit this, thank Christ for that. I think we as a listening public now know as much as we feel like we need to know about the fabulous Alexis Dubus. Um, before we go to the next section, it's time for Fun Fact Corner with Snuggle. Oh, bro, get out of the chair. Fun Fact Corner with Snuggles. 
Hello, darling. Okay, so Okie Doki Smoky. This is now for those who have been with us before. I say before, we've done one episode. So for those who've been with us for the one episode, um, we know what this section is going to be about. For those who are new to Dusty's Hideaway and who are just tuning in for our darling Alexis, I like to share a fun fact that's interesting and possibly slightly useless to the world because that's what we all need. The fun fact is also related to our special guest in a certain way. How it's related to our special guest that's for everyone to decide right so alexis darling are you ready for your fun fact of the day oh definitely yeah Especially now it's about me see course. okay so well, i have some trepidation you haven't said whether it's positively or negatively sort of relating to me so i'm i i'm i'll remain a bit <laughs> did you know that a male spider's reproductive organ which is code word for spider penis is located at mm. one of his legs but it's very hard to tell which leg that is that true so just imagine it because this is what i as soon as i read this this is all i now think about when i see a spider so imagine like you're seeing a spider or, or if a spider's like walking on your clothes one of those legs is a spider penis <laughs> walking on you is it always the same leg <laughs> or is that a kind of like a, a, a sort of coquettish um like tease for the for, for, for the for the spider it's gonna be mating with it's like oh which leg is it you got a choice of eight you know, it's like a deal or no deal of whatever leg you get. That's but it, like, yeah. <laughs> it, it's attached, it comes off one of the legs. It's certainly one of the legs. So one of the eight legs is a spider penis that just, you know... Some... They, don't, they don't just keep it by one leg. These facts are completely true. These facts are completely true. <laughs> right. May I request a source? Cita- citation needed. Oh, no, let's not go there. But you know that fear people have of lying awake at night and then feeling a spider crawl over their face in the dark? Spider penises. Isn't that great? And that's today's fun fact. All right, I'm going to bugger off. Right? <laughs> that was indeed a fun fact. Giving people something to think about when it comes to the next time they see a spider and which leg is its cock. Okay. Does that also affect... Um, Sebastian, could, could you just check whether that affects Spider-Man when he changes as well? Does he suddenly... Fine. Yeah, when Peter Parker changes, does he does he then suddenly risk having a penis coming out of his arm? <laughs> Did you find that out from your from your from your reliable source? He'll be shooting white sticky stuff out of his wrists, so I think we know the answer. <laughs> there we go. There it is. And we've crossed the line, thank you, oh, listeners. No. Okay, now it's time for your secret love. Secret love. In this segment, we discuss something you're passionate about that isn't to do with your work and that might surprise people who know you. If you reference your work as a performer, I shall ring a small bell. That's actually me hitting a wine glass with a pencil. Okay, so your secret love is a band, and I wrote this down in my notes as Man Eats Biscuit and thought that was <laughs> the most exciting name for a band I've ever heard. Maybe some of your performance art from your, you know, halcyon days of alternative comedy. It's The band is half man, half biscuit. Man Eats Biscuit, I think, is probably some sort of American uh, challenge show. By the way, I just I enjoyed very much how the resonance of the, the, the uh, pencil hitting the wine glass, you can tell how big the wine glass is. I couldn't see it, but it made a lovely sort of camera. Gives you an idea of the size of it. Yeah, uh, it's been a long, it's been a long pandemic. Uh, half man, half biscuit. I, uh, I hope at least one person listening to this shares the love for them that I do. They're, they're, they've been going for thirty six years. They're an English band um, from uh, Birkenhead, uh, Scouse band, and they, 
I don't even know how to describe them. They're sort of often dealt with as a comedy band, but they're sort of not. They're very, very funny, very witty, poking fun at the sort of middle classes and poking fun. They're kind of post-punk, I suppose, post-punk band that kind of the lyricism outweighs the musicianship shall we put it that way it's not sort of thrashy punk sort of stuff but it's it's quite it can be quite melodic actually but it's they have titles like took problem chimp to ideal home show um um children of post-apocalyptic tech step you know stuff like that um i'm trying to think of one that you particularly like oh um top nest bickering fair (laughs) are they built along the same sorts of lines as uh, like Jake Thackeray, that kind of like poetical but satirical, but sort of yeah. There's there's definitely there's definitely a poetry to it, and there's um, you know like he references uh, William Blake, he references all manner of sort of very British references, whether that's poetry or bizarre sporting references, which I never get, you know, I, I, or um, just odd eighties nostalgia. That the only a very select few people would would know about. It's it's kind of it's listening to a half man half biscuit song is like doing a cryptic crossword. Sometimes you you need to either have inside knowledge or you kind of need to just reference everything. Going, what is what is this? And it's it's fascinating because they're funny funny songs. So do you? And as I say, quite tuneful. Do you own all their albums? You you know, like on a scale of one to seven, how would you rate your uh, level of obsession? So one is mildly curious, like I'm mildly curious about how soft serve ice cream is made. Uh, seven is dangerously obsessed to the point where it might end in divorce. Ah, I'd, I'd say like a seven. <laughs> no, it's not like no, it's not. It's not a no. It's not full on obsession. I've only seen them live twice in their 36 year career there's a wonderful thing as well that I think you'll appreciate they they split after one album one album and a half it was an album and then an album of B-sides and the, the band split <laughs> and the reason they gave was musical similarities <laughs> how did you first discover it, it, it was it like a, a teenage thing where you it was well they had a um, they had one big hit their first single was a really big hit it was played like when back in the days of John Peel and when you know really alternative stuff was, was played on mainstream radio um, it, they, it was um, the first song they wrote was uh, they, they released first single was uh, All I Want For Christmas Is A Duke La Praga Wake It <laughs> which and it's and it's a song that doesn't even feature those lyrics uh, and it's it, it's brilliant it's all it is is about a guy um, remembering how he goes around to his, his mate's house to play Sabutio and scale electric and how it never worked and how the track and it's and it's so stupid and then it's and then the end of the song the sort of punchline if you will is the guy collecting his gyro from the guy <laughs> and and that's that's now their relationship it's really it's a bizarre little three minute pop song and yet it sort of captured the imagination back in 1980. Uh, four it must have been 84 when it was released so I don't remember they would be asked because they had a quite an affiliation with um, with football they're, they're all big football fans like they were, this is the thing they could have been massive they at the height of their fame they were asked to be on the tube on the tube with uh, Jules Holland and which was the biggest music show at the time and they refused because Tramir Rovers were play, playing at home that night so they wanted <laughs> they, they wouldn't they wanted to watch the match <laughs> Channel 4 even offered to helicopter them in. He said, we will, we'll fly you in to play this gig. And he was like, well, oh, too risky. But but then they were always too esoteric to, to have kind of got any sort of mainstream pop. But, but, but then another thing, they released, their sort of second wave was, was for, them, for an album from 2000 and... I think it was 2008, it's called Achtung Bono. And um, it's uh, the song was uh, Joy Division Oven Gloves, which is probably their catchiest song. <laughs> and it was... Uh, that album 
was rated by it was rated by Guardian readers their favorite album of the year, and yet that album was never even reviewed in the Guardian. <laughs> So the listeners obviously can't see this because this is just audio only, but, but like the, the way you come to life with excitement and also with this plethora of kind of, once again, as I said to our previous guest, Paulus, it's almost like you are the living, breathing Wikipedia entry for this band. Like, you know every little obscure footnote. Ha. Call it a factor seven then. You know, I can see the inner child, the young Alexis. Well, it excites me. I don't, like, so much of, of pop music is sort of preening and pomposity. And I still love all that. I still love a good sort of, I love a Jacques Brel, and a, no, not a Jacques Brel, a, a Scott Walker song or a Divine Comedy or, or, or Smiths or something like that. That's, that's, that. That is that sort of, that has that drama to it. But it, Half Man, Half Biscuit is so no nonsense. It's, it cuts through all of that. It's, it's a guy who never wanted to be famous, who is just a very gifted lyricist. And his character kept, kept doing it for 36 years. So I'm going to mention my career now. <laughs> Ring that bell. But I've seen it as throughout my whole career, whatever that is now and whatever that has been, I have, I've held these guys up in such high regard because they've never... They're my go-to band for a sort of pick-me-up. If any, I could pretty much go to any of their songs and I'd be instantly sort of, sort of cheered up by it. And also, I just love the work ethic. They just carry on. They don't give. They don't give a fuck. They've got. They they pretty much sell out their gigs now. They have enough of a cult following that go somewhere and play live, which they do quite regularly now. And they know they will have. Uh, like the last time I went to see them, he just went and he stopped playing about halfway through in, uh, uh, the set and just kind of started chatting to the front row. And he goes, oh, "I know you, don't I? Yeah, you've you've, uh, you've been to a few of my gigs. You're a dentist, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, just to have that. I, I really am interested in performers who. There are some performers who want to be on the telly. They want to have a million Instagram followers. They want all that and, and you know, all power to their elbow, as they say. I think that's marvellous. I don't want any of those things. And I, I meet performers regularly who just want to do the job kind of in a slightly lower key way. You know, they want to pay their rent and they want to take a nice holiday once, mm. obviously in their own backyard right now. But at some, t- some point we can go abroad, possibly. Or maybe never when the zombies actually finally turn up. I'm very well equipped to deal with a zombie apocalypse. I should point this out. I am the guy you want. I'm very good with a machete. Really good with a, with a shotgun. I've been practicing using a magical thing called a PlayStation. But, you know, there are these people who, who, who... Like, there's an expectation, I think, when you go into performing that you want to be super famous. And that idea is, to some of us, not that appealing. Like, we just want a nice life. Yeah. Just, uh, I've had sort of, you know, little brushings with with uh, uh with tv i've done little bits here and there and i sort of and that's what everyone assumes that you want to do and most times i've done it as just it's been quite a letdown i've had twice i've had punchlines cut from tv they've always with marcel played with the um uh, the pacing of it and the tempo of it so whereas i love to leave those little pauses oh. for the uncomfortableness to sink in and to or for a punchline to land those are the first things to get cut yeah you know when you give it over to an editor and it's and it's stuff like that that you just go nothing 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 will beat live performance no absolutely not which is which is why this current situation i mean i wouldn't say it was torture for me because you know i, I have my lovely flat i have my lovely partner i i'm an introvert who doesn't like going outdoors and meeting people at the best of times so it hasn't been too bad but uh, i do look forward to actually being on a stage again i i know i'll enjoy myself i know i'll have a whale of a time and in a way i think it's 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 kind of good for us to have had this break in in the way that you can get complacent about it or you can take it for granted and you can go I, I, I'd like that now like I did um, the Phoenix a couple of weeks back 
I played the Phoenix on their op- reopening night, and there's just a whole bunch of pro performers backstage doing the pacing thing, like it's your first open mic, and just doing the, like, oh my God, you know, just getting a bit nervous about it, and just suddenly having that jolt and having that kick up the arse and going, oh, I, I really, this, this counts. Um, we are nearing the end of our interview, uh, Alexis Dibus. I'm just going to say it like that from now on because it sounds cool. I just, I just like the sound of it. Um, is there anything you want to plug? Speaking of gigs and events. Oh, let's see. I mean, I, th- things are changing all the time. So have a look on on alexisdubus.com and there's all the all the stuff up there. I also have a, a Kofi page as well. So a coffee page if you want to. Uh, ko-fi.com slash alexisdubus where I've been putting up all my stupid videos that I've been making from during lockdown uh, and you know if you want to chuck us three quid for a cup of coffee on that please do that's super um I might what, what's my f- final question yeah it's very interesting to me because your secret love is a really again you 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 just light up when you talk about this band so I'm gonna have to go and listen to this band now like literally right-, uh, right now I've done I've done a Spotify playlist so if you go to my Spotify there's a little there's a sort of entry level half man half biscuit playlist this is brilliant I love this okay Alexis oh, yeah. Dubus thank you very much for indeed merci ouais cheers bye bye you've been listening to Dusty's Hideaway with me Dusty Limits Sebastian Snuggles Angelique and our very special guest this time round the amazing Alexis Dubus If you'd like to know more, check out our Patreon page and our websites. And do tune in next time for our next gorgeous visit to Dusty's Hideaway. Dusty's Hideaway! Written and performed by Mark McInnes and Oliver Retta. Produced by Mark McInnes. All rights reserved.